What's up, world? I'm Matt Newberg from Hungary, and this is The Feed. Each episode, we'll dive into conversations with the industry insiders who are leveraging technology to shape the way we eat. On today's episode of The Feed, the Hungry Trends community sat down with Brandon Barton, CEO of Byte, a digital ordering software startup specializing in dynamic drive-through displays and kiosks for QSR and fast casual brands. In this episode, we'll talk about the future of on-premise dining, how personalization is improving his customers' top-line growth, and of course, his hot takes on the latest trends within the broader intersection of food and tech. Alrighty, I am very excited to be joined today by our guest, Brandon Barton. He is the CEO of Byte, an omni-channel digital ordering platform that provides custom kiosks, dynamic drive-through displays, and more for brands like Chick-fil-A, Taco John's, and C3. Prior to Byte, he was employee number four at Resi, where he built and oversaw the sales and operations departments for the company's first three years. Brandon, awesome to have you on board today. Matt, uh, as a longtime listener, so great to be here. Thank you. You know, you, you have a really fascinating background having transitioned from the crazy world of hospitality with Danny Meyer at restaurants like Tabla all the way up to Averon Resi. I'm curious if you could just kind of quickly get us into how you, you went from that, the one side of, of operating at uh, various brick and mortar restaurants towards what you're doing now. Yeah, it's been a journey, man. Um, I started in restaurants when I was probably 13, let's say 14 for legal purposes. But <laughs> I grew up in an area of Brooklyn where best job I could get at that point was basically busting tables. So I've been in the in the business for a while, did the whole thing. And, and a lot of people say this, but I literally have worked my entire career in restaurants. I'll give you the short, long version, but in essence, my best friend applied to go to Cornell and I applied to go there, but I applied to the engineering school. About a semester into engineering, I realized that that wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, and I switched over to the best hotel school in the world. So it was fortunate for yeah. that. Got out of that, you know, the, the hotel-y thing and uh, went into restaurant ops. So I worked for Patina and, and a friend of mine who I was just with this, this past week called me up and said... Hey, we're looking for managers at Tabla, and we were all getting paid, you know, thirty-two thousand dollars a year back then. So it wasn't a move for the money, but it was a move to go work for Danny Meyer, right? And uh, and just just an incredible experience. I mean, like talk about getting an MBA in in leadership and an MBA in in kind of you know uh, taking care of people and taking care of employees and service. Uh, it was all there at USHG. Amazing. Oh, uh, having spent time kind of in these two realms I'm, I'm curious how you kind of transitioned over to um avero and resi but like yeah. what do you think is the missing link between these two different worlds of like tech companies that are selling to restaurants and restaurants that are just trying to uh get by here yeah i mean look i think this is this kind of idioms overused a bit but there's not many people in the world of tech who are actual operators and and when i mean actual operators it's not my time busting tables and being a bar back it's my time working as a professional post my high, post college post high school for some you know in perhaps one of the top restaurants in New York City at the time in Tabla you don't get that level of leadership and and then find a lot of those people that move on to to go into tech right i somehow have an interesting background because of that like half semester and that proclivity to want to be involved in engineering right I found tech is something interesting. But yet what's funny is that the way that I got the job at Avero was the CEO of Avero, Damien, was having lunch at Tabla. And I'd given four months of notice to my team at Tabla. I just knew, hey, when the summer's done, I'm done. And the GM at the time, uh, Terry Coglin, great guy, unbelievable leader. He was like, you have to go talk to Damien. 
And I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't want to work in computers. Like, that's weird. I want to like go work in wine or go like. And so I talked to Damien the next, I think two days later, I went and interviewed in Damien's office and they put an offer in front of me that was twice as much as I was making. So I couldn't say no. Mm-hmm. And I spent it, I ended up spending eight years there and kind of got all my account management and sales chops, little BDR chops and, and doing all that stuff. But back to your question, I truly believe that restaurants need to innovate. And I think that they're slow to innovate. And so people that can come with the perspective that a restaurateur might have and help guide them through this. I mean, I did this at Resi. I did this at Avero uh, when we talked about analytics at Resi, when we talked about a new way to take reservations. Mm-hmm. It's it just it's uber important that somebody who's doing that guiding has been there in their shoes, not been in the industry, but actually been a manager or a GM of mm-hmm. a restaurant. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it was shocking to me when I heard that like employees at DoorDash were fighting back against uh, Tony Chu's um, basically saying like, you guys got to do X number of hours of deliveries per month. I was like, are you serious? You work at this company, you've, you've never installed the Dasher app? Like, it's insane. Yeah, that's it's it's it, it was kind of, I mean, I laughed myself at that, but I, Tony, I've never met him, but obviously his background is running restaurants. He owned restaurants and that's why he built uh, DoorDash. <laughs> and so that experience is, is unparalleled when it comes to servicing people who care so much about the service component, right? Restaurateurs care about the bottom line, but that's not that's down on their list about what they care about. A lot of times they care about servicing their employees and servicing their guests, especially anyone who's come from the Union Square Hospitality Group uh, you know, background. Totally. Yeah. I love that book. I have it sitting up here somewhere, but setting the table, right? It's a, it's a must read. I have, I have one of five, maybe five. I don't know actually how many manuscripts are out there, but I have one of the original manuscripts that the GM of Tabla gave me. And then like 20 years later, I saw Danny in, uh, at Myelina where I used to basically have breakfast two, three times a week and meet people and, and do all that. And I saw him, I flagged him and I had a Sharpie. I was like, dude, you got to sign this for me. And he's like, where did you get that, Brandon? I was like, it was given to me. I didn't steal it from you, Danny. (laughs) (laughs) So we got you up to Avero. You and and, uh, you joined Resi and then you leave and you start Byte uh, in 2018. Actually, you don't start Byte. You joined as a COO. I guess talk to us about what is Byte's kind of specialty in this crazy world of, uh, you know, direct channel ordering? Yeah. And how did your career evolve from that point? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I found the Byte guys because they, they were looking for a consultant to do some kind of sales consulting for them, the three founders. I, within one breakfast with them, which happened to be a Myelino, um, I knew that two things. One, this is a product that many large restaurants need. McDonald's and Shake Shack were doing it at the time. And there was a gap. Not everyone could build their own tech. McDonald's and Shake Shack did, right? And some argue, some could argue that maybe they shouldn't have in the first place. They built it nonetheless, uh, Panera too, of course, mm-hmm. at the time. But I also knew that it wasn't a consulting gig. And so I was like, look, I can't consult for you, but like I would consider something full-time. I came in six months later, um, they decided to to ask me to be the CEO of the company. You know, Byte uh, started and always will be focused on uh, kiosk software. We want to digitize the in-store transaction for a number of reasons. We'll get into it later. But most of all, we feel like there can be a beautiful, hospitable experience that happens if you can understand who the person is and maybe give them um, either suggestions or benefits and so forth based on who they are. You know, I mm-hmm. I would always tell this uh, story every day I'd walk to the office um, and I'd go into, I wouldn't say the brand, but I'll go, go into the same place to get coffee and an egg sandwich every day. 
and they never remembered me. And that, that's just, that's totally fine. Like that happens. But if there was some type of digital hospitality right. there, it makes it so much easier to recognize, remember, maybe remember my last order and so forth. During the pandemic, we realized that everyone shut down their in, inside of their stores and nobody, you know, people were afraid of touching things for a, a quick moment there. So we had broadened out and done some other ordering channels. We do QR code ordering. We do line busters, mm-hmm. they call it, or like taking a tablet out to the to the drive through and or right. to a parking lot. Online ordering, less so. We do apps as well now. Um, and so we think that it's important for a guest to experience a brand on all the first party channels in a similar way. And so we think that Absolutely. there will be consolidation in the space and have one one player per brand for all of those different channels. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So I'm I'm curious like last year, you know, obviously it wasn't a completely normal uh, recovery year, but 83% of restaurant sales were were off premise across drive-through takeout and delivery, which is which is crazy. So only 17% was dine-in according to NPD yeah. group. How do you how do you see these channels kind of uh, playing out over the long term? Delivery is actually the smallest channel, it's like a single digit percentage of total restaurant sales, but growing obviously. Drive through and takeout are kind of um, competing, but to be, the uh, yeah. to be the biggest. But you know, how do you see this shaking out over the next five or so years, and maybe in the short term with with you know gas prices being where they are now, as far as drive throughs as well. Yeah, I, I mean to address that quick, I don't I don't see drive through slowing down. You know, I yeah. think people are, are getting busier. I don't think gas prices affects that. Gas prices affects uh, gas prices affect the cost of goods when it gets into your mm-hmm. restaurants and so forth, but I don't think it's slowing down the traffic at, at drive-through at, at um, high-trafficked brands. I mean, maybe we'll see that if we dip into like a true recession, um, but it doesn't seem like we're there yet. We had incredible right. July employment numbers, so like the economy is weird. Like I don't think anybody understands if it's going up, down, or, or left, right. But the first drive-through was in '47. Okay, and I am sure there were people back then who were like, "Why do people need to do this when they can just walk into the store? Why would they need to?" stay in their car. And uh, I think since since 1947, but even since the pandemic, we've just added more and different ordering channels. And I think there's a different use case for each of them. If I have my kids in the car and they want a snack and I want to go grab uh, French fries, um, I'm going to go do that in a drive-thru. And and there's no way I'm taking my three and four-year-old out of the car to do that. Um, Similarly, if I'm on a a conference call and I'm walking around New York, but I wanted to grab a coffee at Bluestone Lane, I I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily want to interact with a cashier. I might want to go over and, and use a kiosk instead. So there's all these different use cases. And I think there will be more. I think, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we're probably up to like eight, maybe nine different ways that people can order from a restaurant today. Uh, (laughs) And I think there will be more. It'll be, it'll become ever complicated. I mean, we talk about people ordering through the metaverse, right? Like this is going to happen. Of course it is. You're going to be able to get your DoorDash while you're playing Fortnite and it just shows up Mm -hmm. at your house. So I think the number of channels in which somebody can order will increase, which is, means it's ever more important to have centralized places for menu management, to have mm. you know, uh, to have all the channels that meet somebody's need in that moment. Um, so I don't see many of them going away. As far as eighty three percent, you know, of that being uh, you know off prem, that makes sense. I mean, people come in and take food away. Uh, I think people are still a bit, you know, uh, reluctant to sit around with a bunch of other strangers if they don't have to. So, mm-hmm. um, but we should we might see that number dive a little bit where it's more dine in in the yeah. next five years. 
Yeah, I agree. Looking at like QR code, I've been having these conversations with people about QR codes, and uh, some some people suggest that this is like, you know, essentially like PTSD from like the height of COVID, and that every time <laughs> they see it inside of a restaurant, uh, you know, it gives them anxiety. Like, wh- where do you think you know? Obviously, you had to build that because that was wh- that market was really hot last year. Um, yeah. We've seen companies like Sunday really start to scale back. You know, they, they shut down 60% of their markets uh, and tried to blitz really fast on that. And you also have this idea of ordering on a, on a mobile phone without a QR code like and, and not a kiosk. So I'm curious if you could talk about those two really briefly and kind of um, yeah. how they all fit in with what, you, what your core products are. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, uh, this I'll say from the personal level, me personally, I'm not the biggest fan of QR, QR codes in general. Maybe it is PSA, uh, you know, uh, you know, being, being disturbed from COVID or whatever, <laughs> but I will say this, the idea of a uh, fine dining restaurant, I think there should mm-hmm. not be QR codes. Um, you should have a physical menu. I think we're at that point. And I say fine dining, but I actually mean like table service from like Applebee's up. If you've ever seen the casual dining menus, they're huge. It's impossible mm-hmm. to navigate on a small right. phone. Right. Um, going up and, and down. And, Going up and down and left and right. And like, you'd be lucky if you found a place that has good user experience there. Um, they don't yeah. have the millions of uh, DoorDash, uh, let's say, engineers who can create a semi-good experience. But by the way, even that's degrading because now I go into DoorDash or Uber Eats or something like that. And they want me to order uh, cleaning supplies and pet food. And, and like, I don't need any of that. Right. <laughs> so in any case. So I, I think I think QR codes have a use case for some people. I think some people like them and want to scan. I personally don't like to use my own personal device to do any of this because I uh, have a nice little dose of ADHD and I get distracted. Uh, I have done this while, you know, in a, I won't, again, won't say the brand, it was with a friend. We were going to order off the QR code menu and three mm-hmm. minutes later, neither of us had placed an order. And I'm in Slack. <laughs> like, it's just like, you know, you, you, I don't want to be on right. my phone, right? And so um, I, I find this idea of having a device that's single use uh, specifically for, for, for what you need to do there as um, a bit uh, of um, kind of a throughput machine. Like it, 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 you can put as many as you want. Uh, and, and to me, that's just like you go up, you order, you make your decision, you go. And yeah. there's no room for any of that. Now, the other part of QR codes that I don't think everybody understands, um, restaurateurs sometimes do, but more and more I've, I've heard stories of people pulling things like payment off of QR codes because mm-hmm. people don't understand that there is a higher credit card rate if you were to take a online payment, which ends up being the QR code payment, than if you yeah. were to... Uh, use an actual, right. um, you know, P2P encrypted device in which you're going to get 50 basis points less. Right. So I card not present who, versus card present. Bingo. You got it. And I have a friend in, in Los Angeles who, who uh, I told this to and he pulled it out of his three restaurants the next day. He didn't realize that he was losing 50 basis points at a restaurant that right. makes 5% profit. That's that's 10% that's, of your profit yeah. is now all of a sudden gone. And if you want to see the effects of this, just look at Toast's uh, revenue <laughs> over the pandemic that shot up because uh, contactless payments became a thing. What I think is actually a better version of this is and to give Toast a little bit of credit bring a device over to the table and do it the European way. And people can pay with their phone. You could do a contactless payment. You could pay with your credit card by tapping it, but you're getting a card present transaction, which is better for the restaurant. Totally. Absolutely. And yeah, I really, I think what you're saying about eliminating all that friction and meeting the customer in those different contacts and really making it like a single purpose application and device that's just suited for that one use case and really making it streamlined 
you know, I, I, I think I appreciate that a lot more having having heard you describe this. Because you think about being inside of a McDonald's or being inside of any store and downloading that app as opposed to walking up to a kiosk. You know, there's too much friction to creating accounts. There's too much friction to being on your phone. You don't even want to be on your phone because the whole point of me being here is to disconnect from the phone, right? Correct. So I'm walking in to have an experience, not to check Slack and and get caught up in a whole whirlwind of that so so it makes a lot of sense couldn't agree more and then like building off of that like thinking about what you said about how you build for the future of personalization that is here but it's not here in its full it hasn't met its full potential and and what i mean by yeah. that is like i think there's so many more inputs that are going to go into this i think personally one trend that i'm really excited about is personalized nutrition which is yes you know wearables and and, and, and various biomarkers that you can track non-invasively. You know, right now there's glucose monitors that go into your arm, to, you go sure. into your arm and it like, it's a needle and it's, you know, it's like a tiny wire, but it's pretty invasive. But at, in, at some point it'll be in your watch and, and the, the watch knows your sleep, it knows your, your exercise, it knows how many calories you need to consume. Uh, and it, it should probably, you should probably have a profile of your allergens and, and all these sure. different things of like, what's good for Matt? What's good for Brandon? Yeah. When you walk up to that kiosk, it should just rearrange everything in the order in which would be, you know, most likely to benefit you and not put you into a food coma or, you know, or yeah. you know, help you meet your goals. hundred percent. And, and, and so the, there is always this argument of, well, somebody can just use their own device. That's fine. But there's really great benefits, especially when you look at the long term of having physical stuff in a restaurant. Because as you're talking about, you can do so much with it. And so at the point when Apple decides to say, you can tap your, your Apple Watch onto something and it will automatically tell that software, let's say your dietary needs or that you're, a keto, you're on keto or that you're, you know, uh, whatever, that's going to be groundbreaking. And, and, and that's not going to happen from your own phone, right? Like you're not going to be able to walk in and be able to tap something. It, I mean, I guess there, there, there's possibilities that it could, but this idea of having this like kind of single use play, it's, it's so interesting. And, and it was, you know, you could talk about the companies like Level Up and so forth who scaled by having a physical device sitting there being able to scan something. We have a screen. Mm -hmm. The screen can have a camera. The screen can have a scanner. And, you know, I just think that there are a lot of advantages in the whole recognition game. I mean, if you look at Amazon Go, which is probably... Mm -hmm. Um, one of the best versions of recognizing someone. Sure, you have to swipe mm -hmm. in and there's a little bit of a logon process. I've done it. But they basically see everybody in the store and they track them around and they see what your mm -hmm. preferences are. They see what you like. They see what you don't like. I think eventually we're going to get to this place where consumers are going to share certain pieces of information about themselves in order to get a better experience. This happens in fine yeah. dining every day. I My yeah. friend has a gluten allergy. My friend is a vegetarian. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. like you have to share this information. And so how do we make that connection happen? Very interesting. And you have a number of deployments today. I guess if you could yeah. talk about some case studies, um, uh, I guess yeah. drive-through comes to mind because I know drive-through is like a lot more personalized. Yeah. You know, like you, you, you pull into a drive-through, if it's a hot day, they should be recommending you the, the blended drink, right? The ice blended drink or correct. they shouldn't be recommending you the soup at breakfast and they shouldn't be recommending you a soup on a hot day and th sure. that sort of thing. Can you talk about where we're at today uh, with all the technology you've built? Yeah. I mean, for us, um, I think some of the best, you know, stories recently have come out of COVID. People who bucked the trend and said, um, oh, I understand my stores are closed. What can I do to improve this so that when I reopen, 
I'm going to be able to get around some of the labor problems that I'm having, whether that's, you know, being able to hire or minimum wage increasing. So uh, we had, uh, you know, Bluestone Lane in New York and Starboard um, on the West Coast, both kind of engage us during the pandemic, right? Like talking about like, you know, October of 2020. Um, mm-hmm. and, and today, a place like Starboard is seeing a 15% increase in average check wow. because they're, they're using Byte and the recommendations that we're making you talked about mm-hmm. things in the drive-through. Same thing in the store. If you hit to go instead of dine in, mm-hmm. I'm not going to recommend ice cream. That would be silly because you're ah. going somewhere after this. Okay, right. And so there's there's all these things that we can gather um, by using really intelligent data science. We have an algorithm that we call Bite Lift that is set to try to give you suggestions that you will like. And by the way, it's purpose built so that it's not giving a guest too many things that they might might not, no longer find value in what they're purchasing, right? If you mm-hmm. go into a, a place and expect to spend $15 and spend 30, you may not come back. So, so there is a delicate balance. We actually don't want it to be a 50% increase, you know, in average check. Mm-hmm. I think that would start to degrade some of the value that the guest is seeing in the experience. Mm-hmm. But in any case, you know, I, I think that, um, I, I think that the personalization piece is uh, is incredibly important, and you can do it without knowing who the person is. You can do it by understanding mm-hmm. the trends in the data. You can do it by understanding which items correlate together, which have pairings right. that go well together. And this is never talked about on the QSR or fast casual level. Right. Interesting, and I have a, that that like brings up a whole you know the fact that you can do it anonymously is obviously important, and like all these trends uh, you know make sense in the aggregate, but. As we're talking about some of the future th- things like tapping my Apple Watch and having, you know, Ch- Chick-fil-A or Panera understand, <laughs> you know, certain things about me, my, you know, my yeah. health profile on Apple, who's going to be responsible for guarding that data? Is the QSR going to be doing that? Are consumers going to care? Is it going to be Apple that's gating it? Ooh, any Any thoughts there? Uh, that's so interesting to think about. I, I haven't given it much thought, but like it obviously has to come with a lot of trust. Look, people do this every day when they go to Disney. The Disney Magic Band is incredible, right? Yeah. I don't know. Have you have you experienced? RFID. I have not experienced. Yeah, RFID, but it also has your dietary restrictions and your allergies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They've actually started to instead of do the Magic Band pull it from your phone. Now that's a closed system because it's Disney talking to Disney most of the time. But I, I think that uh, there will emerge companies that you trust as a consumer to, to give your data to. At the end of the day, at least for Bytes products, because we're white label, it's the trust of the brand. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know necessarily that you're ordering off of a Byte kiosk or, or uh, you know, using a Byte QR code. We right. always are, are showing everything as it relates to the brand. Uh, we're yeah. not promoting ourselves in that. So I think it'll come down to the trust of the brand. Do I trust this, this brand to do it? And similarly to like who downloads your app, there are mm-hmm. consumers and customers of yours that will be more loyal, more trusting and others mm-hmm. who, who are going to shy away from some of those things. Interesting. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see how this shakes out. And right now, it doesn't feel like there's a lot on the line, right? Everyone's used to giving their credit card. Everyone's used to just ordering on yes. a kiosk. But once we get start talking about my body weight and my body mass index, it's like, ooh, and I'm going to start getting weird emails from this from this <laughs> brand. It's like, are you? did you meet your goal yet? Have this uh, for lunch. It's like, wow. Have this shake mm. or something. Yeah, hey, that, that that's <laughs> interesting. But obviously, there's always, I mean, we deal with this today. There's always opt-in for marketing, right? And so opt-in, opt-out. None of this will come. Like the the world is clamping down on being able to find you on the internet and and Mm -hmm. market to you based off your previous purchases. We know this from Mm -hmm. Apple's update, and they're obviously leading the charge and hurting Facebook and Google's business at the same time. 
Yeah, I think Apple is really going to be at the forefront of our health um, when it when it comes to walking into a restaurant and having that experience t- tailored. I really think they've made great strides there. So we'll have to do a podcast about this in another two or three years and, and, and <laughs> we'll follow see what up happens. on it. <laughs> yeah. And then on that thread, you know, you've been very vocal lately or very prolific with your LinkedIn posts. So I, you know, this is why I'm really excited to have you on today. Uh, you got a lot of great takes on a lot of stuff going on. And, and I had a, I have a list of things, a laundry list of things I want to talk with you about Let's because go. I want to get Brandon's, I want to get Brandon's <laughs> opinion. So the first thing I, I think everyone can guess is what is the deal with web three and restaurants? I've, uh, yeah. dabbled a little bit here. I'm actually going to the F- friends with benefits. Um, Dow festival this week oh, cool. uh, and i wrote i wrote a post for them uh it was called proof of stake and s-t-e-a-k of course um and uh you know i'm i'm excited too and and obviously there's been a huge crash in the market which i think has taken this from you know something that everyone is jumping on the bandwagon to the people who didn't understand it who were just saying web 3.0 and their earnings yeah. calls are just like backing off or whatever and so um, I think that's a healthy thing, but curious to get your high level and maybe and maybe an example of who's doing it right. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, uh, off the bat, um, FOH.XYZ, uh, they're friends, mm-hmm. um, but they're also doing it right. Um, they have they have some interesting things going on with NFTs in New York. They're getting really hot restaurants like people like Dame um, to, to allow for reservations. And I think they're trying to, um, and I don't want to speak for them, but uh, you know, in my conversations, they're, they're trying to help uh, foster a community around a restaurant, mm-hmm. right? And so, but let, let's take a step back. Web three and and NFTs. Let's let's take NFTs out of it. But Web three, crypto, using using kind of a public protocol to to understand transactions. There's a lot of use cases in which this would be excellent for restaurants. Um, I was I've done a couple dinners of like you know thought leaders and just like people in the restaurant industry recently. And mm-hmm. one of the things I brought up was what if you didn't have any credit card transactions and everyone was paying with crypto and there's no transaction fee there? I mean mm-hmm. that's a possibility in the world of Web three for restaurants. It doesn't need to right. be some loyalty related to NFTs, but if you could pay with your crypto wallet and lower your credit card fees because what are you actually paying yes. for with that three percent? That, again, that matters a lot. Your 10%, 10% profit to a restaurant, that's 30% increase in profit. So totally. I think that the, the we are so early and there's going to be a lot that comes out of it. But there's interesting stuff like, you know, you saw that, um, of course, and wrote about Starbucks uh, announcing that they're going to have an NFT. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm way more excited about utilizing um, digital art, NFTs, crypto for mm-hmm. a long-term relationship with a guest rather mm-hmm. than some loyalty. Like, digital drop. I, yeah, well, or, or just like it's not like if if you're gonna have an NFT and you're gonna make it ten bucks and then you're gonna say you can get coffee once uh, you know twice a month or three like that doesn't excite me. I I would I would love and I don't know if Starbucks is gonna do this a thousand NFTs in the first in the first um, you know drop that they have free coffee for life and you yeah. price it at ten k right mm-hmm. and you get really loyal people there and that's going to be worth something if i wanted to you know let's say i just i have a i figured out i don't want to drink coffee anymore switch to tea i can sell that sell to it. you yeah right i mean who's gonna buy a a nft to to get coffee twice a week i mean it it, it that that's not that's not exactly um a yeah. thing but if you said free coffee for life you're really talking mm-hmm. about creating your top level of loyalty because people right. have to today jump through a lot of hoops in order to purchase an NFT. You have to have a wallet. You have to buy crypto. You have to most of the time, right? And yeah. I know some people to are trying to pay the gas to, fee. 
you have to pay the gas fee, <laughs> depending on if it's high or low on, you know, on you, you know this. I mean, you, sometimes the gas fee is at 3x what the cost of the thing is. So in any case, um, it's it would be wonderful to, to find people that are willing to jump through those hoops and then reward them handsomely rather than mm-hmm. try to give 100,000 NFTs that mean nothing. Hmm. But back to the NFT thing, you know, and I always think about this long tail with Byte. There's always going to be this problem of training staff. I've heard this before. I can't do this because my staff's not going to know what to do when somebody shows up with a character uh, and a co- holding a coffee cup. I don't, they're not going to know what to do. So this is where having a computer there in whatever case, single right. use is going to be much easier translating what the benefit is that that person should have, um, what they might be able to get, what options they have, right? Giving right. a screen to show them. So I'm, I'm very excited about what could happen there you know, longer term. Yeah, I mean, as you're describing this, what comes to mind is like, you know, digitally native chains like Starbucks, sorry, like uh, Chipotle and Sweetgreen have done these digital only kind of releases where the the menus are only available on the app and they can just, everything is going to just be shipped over the air, right? Just a set of instructions. Maybe you train them to make a quesadilla, but they already have the, you know, they already have the ingredients there or whatever. It's just a different permutation. And then as we start to automate the back of the house, and the front of house goes digital, the possibilities are endless, right? So then we have this NFT could unlock all this interesting, unique content that translates to the physical world, assuming we have everything kind of on chain essentially, or just digitized on both of these, uh, on at least the front end of this. Right, And, and look, the best cases here are going to be ones in which you don't even know public blockchains are involved, okay? I don't think about the protocols when I send an email to you at all. I don't think anything about it. I just type words in, I know it shows up there and something happens in the middle. Who cares if it's a public blockchain? But I think that will be beneficial because you won't have to have an intermediary company managing it and then you paying that intermediary company to do it. Uh, Restaurants that are big enough can be, uh, will be able to build their own extensions Mm -hmm. or, you know, use public blockchains or blockchains that exist to do this without having to pay fees to, to gain loyalty. So again, I think totally. so much to come and I hope it all stays in the background and, and nobody ever knows that there's, you know, web three behind it. Who cares? Absolutely. So then that makes us focus on the core values. Like what is it that we care about? We care about ownership. We care if I'm the restaurant. So I'm the consumer. I care about ownership. If I'm the restaurant, I care about loyalty, building something, rewarding people, and maybe even if I extend it to the back of the house, it's creating more incentives for my employees to really feel like they have some stake in this business and simulating you know, some points in the business of some sort. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 there's endless possibilities, but you gotta, it's like you got to go back to first principles of hospitality, recognition, mm-hmm. making people feel good, um, mm-hmm. you know, asking, asking for their loyalty. Like that's, that's what it'll become. And then the making totally. money part will happen. Yep. Okay. So I want to segue into the next topic, which is, you know, restaurant discovery. So I, you know, you shared my post. Thank you very much for about, about Instagram's new discovery. And then, you know, there's a stat that said that, was it 80% of millennials, some high percentage of, of like young audience of like Gen Z is basically using TikTok to figure out where to eat lunch with their friends. And I did this, you know, I just typed in like tacos, Los Angeles. And like you have all these people reviewing, you have different personalities. Like you and I could be doing this. We could be schlepping around Brooklyn, reviewing pizza and putting it on TikTok (laughs) and be like, Oh, I'll watch that video. And then I go eat that pizza. So like, 
how is this different from the past? And, yes. and when we talk about who the reviewers were before and, and how those how that information got disseminated and how, what's it going to be like going forward? Is it going to be more like yeah. this for everyone? I think it's the same thing as the past. I mean, when you look at, you know, the New York Times restaurant reviewer, or the L.A. Times, those are the most powerful people in the city or were when you wanted to know uh, what was the top restaurant I should be going to. And then you look at like. Uh, what what were Tim and Nina Zagat, if not um, aggregators and influencers? They sent out a survey mm-hmm. to their friends in the you know in uptown in New York and said, "What are the good restaurants here?" That became the most powerful guide in dining, especially in New York and other places as well, as to give somebody a grade. I think that mm-hmm. there's tons and tons of power uh, and knowledge in the crowd. I, I believe in that. Mm-hmm. Now, I think Yelp has taken it into a place that I don't I, I don't prefer. Um, but it, it, uh, that's a nice way to say it, you know, uh, shout out Yelp. You guys are great. Um, but, um, but in essence, like, uh, it's all people who are influencers, right. And that might, mm-hmm. y- your sphere of influence might only be a couple blocks. I remember, <laughs> I remember Robert Sietzema, who's a, a critic for Eater in New York mm-hmm. now, and I and Amanda were talking. And I remember the first time I ever heard the word micro influencer was out of his mouth. He said, Amanda, you're becoming so famous. You're a micro influencer. Mm-hmm. Amanda has incredible power at this point. And, and, and I'm sure when she goes to a restaurant or posts on Instagram, it actually um, you know moves the needle. But you know this idea that I can find somebody who is running up and down coastal Connecticut, looking at lobster shacks, mm-hmm. that's great. I want that. I I. I yeah. will trust that person in some weird way because they've dedicated so much time to it. By the way, TikTok's algorithm right. is out of control. Amazing. Um, <laughs> they just, and this is where I think the difference between TikTok and, and Instagram comes up. Instagram, you don't exactly know from the tech side whether the user likes what they see or don't. Whereas TikTok, mm, it's automatic feedback sentiment. because you swipe away. If you swipe quickly, I get things on my TikTok for you page that like I'm like totally not interested in, but maybe I'd stopped on something for cricket once to be like, what's cricket? And now they're sending right. me cricket stuff. Guess what? It's swipe away real quick. And right. now they know this is not, not something that. you're interested in. Exactly. Uh... And so and so if you are interested in in restaurants, TikTok's gonna figure it out way quicker than than Instagram will and start wow. serving you up things that are interesting. And then the more you watch somebody's video or even go into their own page, mm-hmm. it's going to show you more of their content. So there's this wonderful guy who runs around reviewing bars in the East Village and, and actually all of downtown Manhattan. He's like, you want to go here, you don't want to go here. And like he's like ragging on places. It's so funny. And I, but yet at the same time, like I'm finding it informative. I was like, right. I didn't realize that the top three clubs that to go dancing right now are in like Bushwick. Because I'm old, fine, but like it's interesting <laughs> to me. And I imagine if I wasn't old and I just landed at, at school at NYU, like kids are moving in this week, yeah, I would 100% be like, where to go out dancing on TikTok and find everywhere. You know, it makes total Very sense cool. to me. Wow, that you're that 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 comment about the, the implicitly liking something on on Instagram and understanding the sentiment behind it is is bang on. I didn't even think about that, and makes me question whether the product is going to work for the restaurant industry and I'm very curious but um, I was very excited to see how they were able to unearth all this information not just about restaurants but just about anything around you and yes. I was just like oh wow I didn't know that these places exist or these walks these hikes and you know yeah. it doesn't have to be just restaurants how does this apply to like the world of delivery we, we've you know We've seen like V1 of virtual brands. It's like Wiz Khalifa, Mr. Beast, who's a YouTuber. Sure. How does this start to actually, uh, how does this content discovery start to impact the way 
that were ordering delivery and, and takeout from from yeah. host kitchens well, or ghost kitchens? I mean, ghost kitchens. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's so much there right um i think uh kristen barnett uh i think you had her on the pod once uh, mm-hmm. from hungry house uh yeah. she and i she's like my go-to when i'm like explain the difference between all these things to me right like maybe like a year and a half ago um uh, like the basis of, of whether a virtual brand is going to become successful is two things it's marketing and then it's quality right i um i had one of those big one of the ones you just mentioned, I had I had some of their food. It was gross, and I'll never order it again. Um, but but I, I wanted to understand why it was, and I actually think that it's the underlying restaurant that it came from, where there mm-hmm. it's a host kitchen, right? That's right. serving this. Uh, it's not it's not a dedicated brand of people doing this over and over. Um, it is somebody who just got dro- air, you know, talk about airdrop. They just got dropped a shipment from uh, of food, and here's burgers, here's exactly. this, here's how you put it together, and. And the food that they normally put out in the restaurant for their brand is awful. So why would their <laughs> burger be good? Okay, exactly. But you know, you know, uh, like look at the Taco Bell Christina Tozzi thing. This is mm-hmm. how is that? That's a that's a host kitchen, is it not? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they're cooking anything of Christina's, but right. um, but at the same time, that could happen. Uh, I know that there have been famous chefs that have gone and done things with Shake Shack where they do limited time offers at like the Shake Shack Madison Square Park or whatever. Right. Um, you know, they had they had Rene Redzepi, I think, come do one once. I mean, that's insane. And I think mm-hmm. that that can work at scale. Now, from an influencer standpoint, that's the marketing side. So we, we have the quality side has to be this food has to be cooked in good restaurants. Um, and I think that there are a number of people that are putting out quality kitchens that are going to be well-managed, well-staffed and, and trained. Okay, so that's got to be one side. On the other side of it, you cannot stop the the force of the influencer on TikTok, Instagram, and so forth. I mean, if Charlie D'Amelio was to post something about one of these restaurants or that she was doing a shake or something like that, it will blow up and sell out overnight. Mm-hmm. I remember listening to the Bill Simmons podcast and his son was obsessed with the, oh gosh, what was the first McDonald's, Travis Scott mm-hmm. meal? And it was just like a, the regular meal with Sprite. Yeah, they ran out. <laughs> They ran out. It was the same thing that they have in the kitchen. So I, I'm i very bullish on that. I think that these people are, are the new media um, yes. who, who can who can gain followers in this way. And I think it's smart for restaurants to pair up and leverage it. I hope the end result is quality as opposed to crap. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think, you know, influencers are going to realize if they don't put out quality, they're going to lose their influence. And so, yeah. you know, and we'll go on cycles of this. It'll be every five years where there's somebody new that pops up. I didn't know who Mr. Yeah. Beast was five years ago. And now, like, of course I know who he is. He did the squid game thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just, I think it'll continue in cycles and, 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 you know, whatever the next platform is, it'll be there. I think, mm-hmm. you know, the platform of the now to me is TikTok, but yeah. uh, we all, we all kind of dipped into Clubhouse for a second. Mm. I think that's gone now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we'll see. They're, they're, it, it's here to stay, and I, I think brands that are pay, paying attention are um, uh, are going to collaborate with influencers to do cool stuff. Love it. I really appreciate that insight, and it just reminds me of me being this like you know teenage kid waiting in line in Soho for like you know a drop of like bathing ape or like you know something. Yeah. Like that. I was so excited about that, but now that food has become something that people are sharing so much of, and just really cherishing the experience of it yeah it's it's all it's all coming back full circle to food so it's it's fascinating 
I want to segue to to another interesting topic. Right before this, uh, two podcasts ago, we had on uh, the founder of Dorcia, which is this new oh, cool. stealth d- dynamic pricing app that I uh, kind of broke the news on a couple weeks ago. And nice. you know, they're trying to do this whole pr- practice of revenue management and bringing it to the taking what the travel industry learned around pricing things high and low based on based on demand and supply to bring that to high-end restaurants. And then you, you also have, you've talked about some of these black market apps like WooWoo or something. Sure. So these are all getting muddled together because WooWoo is also letting you pay for reservations, but it's not necessarily this a guaranteed minimum spend and that sort of thing. But I'm just curious if you think this is actually gonna gonna work from your, putting on your, your Resi hat for a second, yeah. thinking about can Resi do this? Can OpenTable do this? Is Dorcia gonna be the one that wins here? Is this even something that restaurants want? Is this something consumers want? I don't even, I, so this is funny cause like, this is deja vu. Maybe, maybe you were, don't remember, I don't know, but Resi and Reserve and Table 8 we're all doing paid reservations in 2017. Yeah. I remember. I, that's how Resi started yeah. with Gary Vee. Initially, I mean, again, I was there. We had not gone live yet in the app. And I'm sitting mm-hmm. in the office. And all we're doing is paid reservations. And mm-hmm. we're doing, um, you know, premier time slots for, mm-hmm. for money. Okay. Mm-hmm. The industry as a whole, from all the conversations that I've had from that time and now and going forward, I have this conversation a lot. Industry as a whole doesn't feel good about that. They don't feel good about setting minimums for people. The, uh, and, and, and especially, here's the, here's the kicker, especially the places that are the highest cost and most, most visited places in mm-hmm. the cities. They right. cherish hospitality in a very different way than they cherish money. Okay. And so mm. I, I'm bearish. I'm bearish on the whole thing because the, the, what made Resi explode was our pivot to doing mm-hmm. – and taking over the full book for the restaurant. Okay. Yeah. It was not by going down this line where we were going to make tons of money for the restaurant and for Resi via right. paid reservations. Because my good friend Gabe Stolman um, told mm-hmm. me I'll never I'll never do that. Will Gadara said I'll never do that. Now Will, yeah. by the way, at, at Eleven Madison Park, he had you know he had talk. Okay. So right. he was in some ways doing some revenue management with pricing. I don't know how much they eventually did once they hit four stars because I think it was just expensive across the board. Yeah. Um, Worth it and expensive, but like special occasion expensive, right? Um, I, I don't know how much they were doing with actual revenue management. And I think Nick, Nick Kakonis did a really great, uh, has a really great product to, to be able to hit mm-hmm. those levers if you want to give special experiences. Um, right. I, I don't think that there's enough restaurants who would buy into the idea that people should be paying for placement, right? So Tables mm-hmm. is doing like, can you get the good table in the restaurant? I'll tell mm-hmm. you why that's not going to work. You have never in your life to pick a hotel You've picked a type of hotel room. You have never said, I want to be in room 832 because that would take too much power away right. from the person at the front desk. And the, similarly, it yeah. takes all the power away from the maitre d' because restaurants are mm. impossible to run in the midst of the chaos that's there. You have no idea who's going to walk through the door other than your, the reservations that you have. And you don't even know if they're mm-hmm. going to show up. So you need to be playing Jenga. Everyone calls it table Jenga, right? Like you're moving mm-hmm. and shifting things around. And now this two top is going to be on 22 instead of 24. <laughs> um, you can't take that away from them. So that doesn't work. Right. Dorsey is interesting. And I wish them I wish them the best. Um, you know, uh, old colleague of mine is, is working there, I believe, as their COO. So I, I hope they succeed. 
I think restaurants in general don't want this. Um, and, and I've experienced that they don't want this. Uh, Mm -hmm. some of the other ones, all the black market reservations that just sucks. I will tell you this, there is a real revenue management case from, from hotels that should be applied. Mm -hmm. So most hotels, and I don't know how many people know this, but most hotels are judging whether or not they should say yes to a, a booking of that hotel room based off of a forecast. This is something that yeah. does not happen today in restaurants. Okay. Yeah. One of the big reasons it doesn't happen, and I'm going to, I'll go on a little sidecar. We'll come back. One of the reasons it doesn't happen is because nobody tracks how many times you say no. Okay. Open mm. table, I, I don't believe gives you that information when somebody says, I do want a seven top or let's say an easy one, a 7 p.m. two top on mm-hmm. Friday. I do want that table. I would book it right now, but it's not available. So I'm now getting rejected. That's what's called your demand. Like that right. is the true level of demand that you have. I remember picking up the phone and, and taking reservations. Anytime we said no to somebody, we just hung up the phone, but there's no way to track that. But if you yeah. were to track that and start to balance that against how many people are going to no show or cancel, if I'm right. two weeks out from a restaurant date and I know that 50% of the people booked are going to cancel, I should be saying yes. Right. And I'm saying no, because the whole hmm. book is, is already booked. That's true revenue management. I think the ideal is not dollars, it's occupancy. Making sure that mm. there is a butt in a seat at every right. moment possible is a much better revenue management and, and a strategy that restaurants will actually take on. By the way, right. we sell Bite tomorrow or IIPO or, or who knows, I get kicked out of it. This is the company I'm going to start because true revenue management is actually not happening in restaurants. It's all about this, this specific metric called revenue or profit, but revenue per available seat hour. Okay, you mm. want butts and seats. If you fill up your dining room at all times, and and what the worst part is is that high no show rates and high 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 um, you know late cancellation, day of cancellations, it always happens Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And so, mm. if you're not optimizing and booking, you know maybe you have 200 slots for people, you should book 220 because you know you're going to drop to two, 200, and right. and put the maitre d in the pilot seat to be able to handle. If the worst case scenario happens and 205 people show up, guess right. what? Every Slightly. restaurant can handle for that. I'm positive. Yeah. Totally. Anyway, no, it makes a lot of sense. So your, your idea, this startup you would create is just basically, you know, taking some of these features around deposits and uh, I don't know, like Nick Akonis has actually been very vocal about like what works and what doesn't work, right? He says like, yeah. you know, guaranteeing things with a credit card, they never end up charging your credit card. So he's basically settled on this like nominal like $20 fee or something or in the case of like a really expensive tasting menu charging you up front. So like what would your ideal company do? Oh, um, it, it's very simple. It's understanding if you should say yes or no to a reservation. Oh, interesting. I think that that problem is not. I mean, look, we could put price dynamics into it and I'm sure those are levers and I wouldn't even want to do that part. I would want to work with OpenTable, Resi, Talk, all of them. Mm-hmm. And to take the data, again, because a, rev- a person sitting at a hotel taking reservations, they are sometimes booking more rooms than yeah, they actually have available because they're sure. aware 100% of the time, 10 of these people are going to cancel. Yeah. And so with a high likelihood, if you could actually overbook your room, knowing that people are going to cancel and wind up at 100% or 90% occupancy instead of 80% mm-hmm. occupancy, that's going to change your bottom line significantly. Yeah. So, hey, look, I don't even, I, honestly, OpenTable wouldn't, who knows if OpenTable would give up the data? 
right? Like mm-hmm. they also, like I said, the data is not being collected because you'd have to look at how many times did somebody yeah. search for a two top right. at seven o'clock at Carbone. Now Resi yeah, has exactly. some of it, which is interesting because of Notify. Mm-hmm. We we kind of we kind of understood what that was about when somebody had a twelve seat restaurant and they had four thousand people on Notify. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we understood that their demand outstripped <laughs> their supply. Exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, w- I, w- I wish the whole next phase of this like paid reservation thing the best because obviously companies like Resi and and for that matter Reserve yeah. who, who did a good job came out of it and and we actually did the thing that we wanted to do which was disrupt Open Table. So we'll mm. see yeah. w- where these things evolve to. I don't think paid reservations is going to be for um you know for the long haul. Yeah, yeah, definitely need forecasting, and I can't. You know, every flight I've gone on is always is they're, they're always overselling the flights, right? You, you know that. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> flights are a great example of it. Now I think they do a shitty job because you don't want somebody to. I'll pay you three hundred bucks not to eat your meal here. <laughs> exactly. We're not, I'm not saying that's, that. That's a shitty experience. But it, but <laughs> yeah, you, you totally. can get closer to a hundred percent. That'd be great. Yeah. Okay, so now talking about like, I don't know if I'd call them your peers, but you know, some of these companies that are doing, are getting into layoffs and I mean, there's just just like stepping back, there's so many companies are doing the exact same thing, right? Yeah. The exact same first party ordering, white label and trying to just dress it up a bunch of different ways. And, you know, some of them are pulling out of markets. Some of them yeah. are slashing their employees and doing it a lot of th- times and not just doing it one in one fell swoop. But, you know, obviously we've seen the backdrop of, of this, like ma- the macro backdrop of this, uh, as far as like it just relates to consumer tech or just an all tech, actually, enterprise or consumer. But this specific subcategory of food tech seems to be getting hit pretty hard right now. What is going, what do you make of it? Uh, how much of it is like a cultural thing? How much of it is actually, you know, the- look, there's a, there's somewhat of a saying of like how fast you come up is how fast you come down. Right. And mm-hmm. there were definitely many startups who took advantage of the moment of contactless payments or, or like, uh, you know, creating a better web ordering experience who, you know, had that moment because of the pandemic and investors mm-hmm. came to them and said, here's a lot of money. And we're now facing a couple of years later where the revenue doesn't match what, what people have raised. And other companies, though, you know, while going through maybe some adjustments, I think everybody planned to have a better 22 in the tech world, in the food tech world than they're having. OK. Um, and so and so I don't blame I don't think layoffs are a bad thing. Layoffs are sometimes sorry, excuse me, to the extent <laughs> For the company, for the people getting laid off, it's awful and it needs to be yeah. done correctly. And I've heard some horror stories about the way it's yeah. been done. Yeah. But sometimes layoffs are necessary in order to right size the business based off of the, the revenue and totally. the sales that you're generating. And so there are some, co- I was having a conversation with Chris Webb uh, of Chow Now. Um, yep. I, I talk about like a class act and, and, and somebody who is doing this for the right reasons and doing yeah. it for um, on behalf of restaurants for um, for their benefit? Um, he he said he mentioned I think this is in the press that he you know there was a, a little bit of a layoff, but essentially you know he's been growing steady and hasn't gone through these big slashes because he has a great product that works well. He knows exactly who his customer is and he knows yeah. who his customer isn't, and he doesn't try to. Um, 
get into hyper growth because some VC is telling him to do so. I mean, yeah. I think even his comment, again, his public, this was not to me, but his public comments were like, I don't know if we want to raise more money from VC. Maybe we don't right. after this. And and so if he can give his company and the employees that are existing there and probably ones that left who own shares of the company, if he can give mm-hmm. them a, a long lasting uh, company that's going to increase its value, I think that's the right move. Now, there are other companies, and again, this is not to talk bad about others, but like who've just been running a shitty company from from day one. And yeah. um, it's been veiled behind marketing and this, that, and the other. And and they go through five layoffs in a year. It's a problem. Yeah. And it makes the entire industry look bad. I, I don't think we're done with the layoff thing uh, because I think that any everything that all the people who, um, again, saw this massive success and change of behavior during COVID – I think mm-hmm. people, meaning consumers, are now getting back to a little bit more of what normalcy feels like. Yeah. I know a lot more people are going to go into the city to go into the office. I know, I know, um, uh, like a lot more people are dining out as opposed to cooking at home. Like all these yeah. trends are starting to change. And yeah. uh, and and frankly, you know, some of the things that were built were features. And so if you look at, for example, Sunday. Toast has that in their product. They have a QR code yeah. that you can add to, and, and and I don't know the I don't know the difference between the products. I don't know the advantage of, of X versus Y. <laughs> but I know that from a restaurant perspective, if I don't know, the restaurant tour certainly doesn't. And if Definitely this thing not. is in my point of sale system and can flick it on, and this one's not, and I have to I have to add another you know vendor. I'm just going to flick the thing on. Yeah, right. Totally. And so you got to ask yourself, what, how many of these things were actual products versus just features of something else? Amen. Oh, well said. Okay, coming up on like kind of the end of our conversation, I've been loving all the, these hot takes so far, and thank you so much for for all your candor here. So, I guess I, you work with C three. I saw your deployment in C 3s new food hall. Um, is it called Manhattan West? I think it's yeah. all the way on the west side, upper like not upper west side, but like Midtown West. Yes, and and we see Kitchen United seems to be partnering with similar players. You know, like St- Simon Property Group, yeah. and Kroger, and you know all these people who have all these real estate assets and cloud kitchens even tried to do some food halls. I've actually found that they have a food hall they're building in times square. So what does this all mean? Where where do you see the ghost kitchens are going to be, are there going to be some that stick to delivery? Are there some that are going to be dine in? Is it just going to be a food hall? What, what, what is this all? I think, I mean, I, I I think that, the smart thing to do is to leave your options open. Most of these, um, whether it's a, a ghost kitchen, a host kitchen, all the, it's all it's about the location, right? Uh, the first, yeah. uh, you know, the first three things of restaurants are location, 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 right? So you're putting them in places that have dense populations around them, and you are creating food for the public. And if you want to open the front door and allow people to come in and do that, I think that mm-hmm. that's smart. It definitely takes a little bit of change in terms of lo- your logistics, but mm-hmm. um, it, it makes total sense to me that they would be able to do both. It's all about capacity in the kitchen in the first place. Can you handle right. that or not? Um, but I, you know, some of the, some of the um, bigger players who have a lot of like, let's say VC backed money, they are taking, um, s- you know, um, storefronts, right? They're not taking yeah. second floor or basement kitchens. There is some people that are doing that and doing it in like undesirable areas 
and those I would say probably not going to take walk up traffic. But if you're taking a storefront and you don't maybe mm-hmm. have the idea one day to open the front doors, I think you're missing something. That's why Kroger's okay. is doing it. That's why you know um, I believe you know Walmart has uh, you know a, yep. a play here as well, right? Um, taking a bunch of brands, they're closing off the kitchen facility that they had mm-hmm. and and having a window, and you can order a bunch of different things. By the way, off a kiosk. So um, mm-hmm. you know I, I think it makes it makes a lot of sense if you have people coming and you can serve them food. Why not, right? And and, and I do believe that the model um, of ghost kitchen, host kitchens, all those different things, I think it's going to work well. I think it's, you know, when I've talked to operators about their ability to go and test out a market by just, mm-hmm. I don't know, putting something in place for a, a couple months, seeing what happens, seeing if we yeah. should actually put a footprint there, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, totally. So I, I see it continuing. I might slow down a bit and I, and I you know, might maybe the the fervor might slow down a little bit because I think there was hundreds of millions of dollars being put into this. And, you know, maybe there's places like Reef that seem to have pulled back in some ways, right? Uh, this mm-hmm. seems to be part of the conversation. I don't know if Cloud Kitchens has or anything like that, but um, why, you know, why not? If you can serve people where they are, mm-hmm. do it. Amazing hot takes all around, Mr. Brandon Barton. <laughs> Love the conversation. Thank you for the support as always. I want to give you a second here to plug a bite. If people, I mean, everyone's got to listen to this conversation. They're going to be convinced they need to get a kiosk. Obviously, if they don't, you're living in, I don't know what stone age, but they want to get a kiosk, line buster, drive through. You got it. Tell them how they get started. If people want to work for you, how they reach out. We got a lot of people tuning in. Reach me, Brandon at getbite.com. Um, I, I love talking to people. You can hit me up on LinkedIn too. I'm there uh, enough. Uh, I have a Twitter. No one follows it. And my Instagram is about my kids. So whatever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, if people love to, to have people learn more. I think the most powerful thing that we say to people when they say, will kiosk work for me? I say, I don't know. Maybe. Let's try it. Like the only way to figure it out. I could probably save you a quarter million dollars next year. Only way to figure it out is to actually put it in. So anyway, that's my plug. All right, Brandon, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your week and and really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks, Matt. So great to be on, man. Such an honor. Thank you, dude. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you're curious to get a firsthand look at the cutting edge of food and tech, check out Hungry.tv. That's Hungry with No You, where you can join in on live conversations like these or sign up for the free weekly newsletter.